All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another opportunity and privilege of gathering together as your children in this, the devil's world. We thank you for the freedom in our country. We thank you for your protection and your guidance. We ask that you help us continue in the Great Commission to spread your gospel to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. Father, most of all, we are grateful that you sent your Son to pay the price for us once for all so that we can have eternal life by trusting in him as our God and Savior. We ask that you bless this message, have your spirit guide us and teach us. It's in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. The Gospel, Salvation, and Sanctification, Part 101. As the Spirit taught the last couple lessons, we even as American believers have and do put too much emphasis on materialism and comforts. And I think we're so numb to it that we don't realize it. And, and that's why I always say, even to go on one missionary trip to India for everybody would give you a different perspective. Um, we don't even realize the uh, situation and the mindset that we're in. And we even idolize those that have material possessions in our country. And if you think about it, that's a pretty sick heart condition to have as a follower of Christ. This heart condition stands directly opposed to the Great Commission, if you think about it. It's gathering unto self as opposed to going out and helping others. So God looks at the heart, as we know, and he's so graciously and gently working on us over the years. He purifies the hearts of the humble day by day. So this is not a topic for condemnation. God looks at the heart. He's working on us and purifying us to be sold out for him one day and to be rescued from the lies of this world and the deceptions that we are under. And remember, a deception means you don't know you're under it. You don't realize you're doing or thinking the wrong things. And so God used James to caution us on Sunday to help us catch our erroneous system of thinking, which we've grown up with since childhood in America. And that's the whole catch. That's what makes it so difficult to recognize what we're doing and thinking and where we're wrong, because it's normal for us. So go again to James chapter 2, verse 1. And let's read this passage in conjunction with another. And as we read, just think about how we've grown up this way in America. This really is a description of the American way. James 2.1 My brethren, do not hold your faith in our Lord and our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, 
and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? The love of money is the root of all evil, right? Evil motives. We actually favor someone because of money in this verse. Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? Let's halt right there for a minute, and I want you to hold your place and go to Matthew 5, verse 3. Hold your place. Go to Matthew 5, verse 3. Let's take a look at God choosing the poor of this world. And in our Lord's own words. Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, do you see anything there about the rich being blessed? Do you see anything there about the successful being blessed? Or even being blessed to be successful? It's all about those who have humbled themselves and sacrificed in one way for the kingdom. So, go back to James 2 verse 5. And let's continue with this warning. Listen, my beloved brethren. Did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you've been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. What partiality is being shown here is to the wealthy and successful. And that is the American way of life. And even many American Christians are trapped in that way of living, that way of thinking. Um, you see someone drive up in a beautiful car, you might even run over to them and say, wow, what a car, how'd you get this? You know, and basically you're saying, you're the greatest. It's basically what you're saying. I mean, or you're, you're almost worshiping that person. Maybe you're not. I mean, there's an honest way to say that's a, that's a really nice blessing or whatever. But... If we're honest with ourselves, what's going on in our minds? I wish I had that. 
right? He's really successful. I've got to learn how he's successful. I wonder how he did it. Why do we think that way? We're conditioned. The American way. Isn't our very culture to elevate the rich and successful, even ignoring how they got all those riches? What does verse 6 say? You've dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do you forget how most rich people got rich? And here you are idolizing them? They may have taken your grandmother to court. You don't even know it. They took it for all their money. And here you are being fr- extra friendly, you know, extra respect because someone's rich. It pervades our society. And I think God is telling us as American Christians to wake up. Like, snap out of it. We can be so settled into our life, lifestyles that we don't see the areas that we do these things. The areas that we cling to finances. Or even idolize successful people or idolize certain lifestyles. And a good analogy came from the Spirit on Sunday on the board. Most Americans are drunk on the world. Even Christian Americans are drunk on the world. Even those hearing this message right now. It's something to think about for all of us. We each need to look in the mirror and be honest. Is this me? And if we're not honest with God, He can't heal us of these heart conditions. And maybe instead of saying, Is this me? Maybe we should, we should say, In what areas is this me? it's real easy to exclude yourself. It's real quick to come to an answer, especially when you don't really want to face it. But if we're honest, we probably are all guilty in some way, some area of our life. So we should say, what areas am I doing this? Here's the thing, as we've been learning. It's one thing to be convicted by these messages. It's another thing to be humble enough to examine and change your lifestyle. That's true humility. To honestly go to God and repent and say, I've been wrong in this area. And repent means actions follow. True repentance. We're commanded to live for Christ and his people, right? Pretty obviously. That's what we're commanded to do. Live for Christ and his people. And knowing is not living. Knowing the right thing to do and then living in it are very different things. Look how the early disciples lived in the early church because they had the right heart towards finances and possessions. Once they realized the truth and realized they were saved from their own depth of sinfulness, their perspective on finances and possessions totally changed. Turn in your Bibles to Acts 2, verse 41. And again, the early disciples, they had the right heart as an example to us. They had the right heart towards finances and possessions. And I know you're familiar with this passage, but focus on their hearts. And then focus on what they did. Acts 2.41 So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. 
They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now there is a time for everything in life. There is a time to have stuff and not have stuff, right? There's a time to have material blessings. There's a time to go without and to learn how to go without. My question is, is it time for us to live like these guys? As part of the Great Commission, the heart of these disciples was very clear, and they were joyfully making these sacrifices. This was not a burden to them to exchange their worldly goods for the freedom that they'd just been given. They were so happy and elated to be set free from bondage to those earthly things. And in fact, when they sold those things, they were even freer. Unless you do, you don't experience the freedom we've been hearing from the Spirit, right? Unless you do, you don't experience, you don't really learn, you don't really understand, and you're not fully set free. So they were joyfully making sacrifices for the kingdom of God. And I've been, I've been pondering lately myself personally, um, and every so often this kind of comes to mind, what if God gave me a house? And when I say gave me, I mean gave me, Okay. So I either inherit a house or someone literally gives me a house. Says, here, it's yours. What would I do with it? I often think about that. And I'm sure when, when and if it, well, let's say when it happens. Yeah, when it happens. It'll be a real test. Even if I can say the right thing now, what I would do with it. And, and again, there's a time for everything in life. I'm not saying go sell everything right now. You have to do that. But the Spirit's making us question, is it time for us? You know, if I received a house as a gift, would I save it, quote-unquote? Planning ahead to live a, in a place without any rent, you know, that'd be nice. But then again, paying the taxes and repairs is like paying rent, right, homeowners? You think you're out of your mortgage and now, you know, everything falls apart in the house. And... So I always, always ask myself, would I keep it for myself or would I be willing to sell it and use it for the gospel's advancement in this lost world? Do I really believe, in other words, what I'm preaching? Do I really believe the time is short? Do I really want to reach out and make as many disciples as possible before the Lord comes back? We only come this way once. So just something I've been pondering in my own soul. What would I do? What should I do? And we'll see what happens. Stay tuned. But it's easy to fall into the trap we have in America because of the following truth in our country called institutionalized arrogance. And when you see that term, I mean, I think of how it's built into our society. It's built in. It's 
ready-made. It's from childhood. You are brought up this way. And it's in our systems on how our country runs. So just about every aspect of American life represents institutionalized arrogance, which is to say that social, cultural, and economic objectives are ungodly, organized to meet the desires of the flesh. As came out on Sunday, are we believers still lockstep with the world? Are we marching right side by side, saying we are living for Christ, but maybe not? What are our daily objectives as we work and create lives of comfort for ourselves? Now, there's all different degrees of this, right? For example, like five years ago or two years ago, you were at one place regarding your finances and your priorities and all that, your sacrifices, and now you're growing. If you're listening to the Word of God, you're growing. You're growing in those areas. You're in less bondage to materialism. Maybe you're more generous. I don't know. So this is all, you know, incremental. But what's the Spirit saying right now? Are we still creating lives of comfort for ourselves? Where, where does he want us to be? How does he want us to live? Is it like the disciples in Acts 2? How much does he want us to simplify? God's been opening our eyes, and he's been very kind and gracious and patient. Before we knew any better, for example. But I think he's now waking us up from a slumber including regarding the Great Commission. And as Scripture says on the board in Luke 12, 48, but the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much, of him they will ask all the more. And as the Spirit pointed out on Sunday, flogging refers to discipline here. And this means that God will give harsher discipline to the person who's been well taught, who knows the difference and then still chooses not to live in it. So while we're called to live in this world, we're called to not be of this world. While we obey our earthly masters, we're called to not be confused about where our true Allegiance lies. We choose the word of God over the word of man. We choose the ways of God over the ways of man, even in America. And it's not disloyal to your country because you don't do things in an ungodly way that your country said is okay. Does that make sense? You're not being unpatriotic by disobeying ways of life that are against Scripture. So we're told to act like ambassadors. While we're commanded by God to subject ourselves to our earthly masters, the government, the local laws, etc., God placed us as ambassadors for Christ. We mustn't exchange our true allegiance to God for something so fleeting as a country. And nationalism is fine and good, but we aren't to compromise truth if that's what the ways of our nation are asking us to do. We are to act like ambassadors. 
we are truly just pilgrims passing through. We get settled in sometimes into our little lifestyle and we don't want anything disturbed. But don't forget this principle or you'll get lost. We're just pilgrims passing through. You know, maybe one day God will ask you to be homeless and go live in a cardboard box and preach the gospel on the street. I don't know. Maybe one day he'll ask you to live uh, in a different country or who knows. But it doesn't matter is the point. We're just pilgrims passing through. He'll take care of us, as we'll see later on. So we belong to the Lord God as adopted citizens of heaven. And this is an attitude we must adopt if we want to be sanctified, set apart from the world, and set apart to him and for his purposes, as in Hebrews 11, 8 through 10. Turn to Hebrews 11, 8. Again, we are just pilgrims passing through this world. And we belong to the Lord God as adopted citizens of heaven. And this is an attitude, it's a heart condition that we must adopt if we want to be sanctified. If we really want to be set apart for him and bring him glory. Look at Hebrews 11 verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise. Now notice, he didn't live as an alien in a foreign land or or a land that wasn't the promised land. He lived as an alien in the land of promise, the land God promised. Even there, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. As we just mentioned, maybe he'll want you to live in a tent one day so that you're not in bondage to the land that you're living in. For he, Abraham, was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And verse 13, look at verse 13. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. That's the proper perspective for us as believers. So will we learn the easy way or the hard way? Will God need to discipline us, his very own children, for living with the world? marching in step with the world? Or will we willingly humble ourselves before what His Spirit is saying to us? It's one thing to know the truth and another to decide to live in it. Go to Hebrews 12, verse 6, since we're there. God will get us there one way or another. Hebrews 12, 6, For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He scourges every son whom He receives. Will our loving Heavenly Father, as the good Father that He is, need to give us a few lashes or many? 
It's for our good. He's going to get us there one way or another to sanctification. But which son are you going to be? Which type of son are you going to be? If we love him, we will obey his direction. It comes back to love being our motivation. If we love him, we will obey his direction. And we'll listen to the Spirit and not get in the way and be prideful and hold on to things that don't really belong to us. So our nation as a whole at this point is deceiving us. The nation as a whole has slipped into the dark side, if you will. Monica's got a Star Wars t-shirt on. Pretty funny. But seriously, our our whole nation has (laughs) unknowingly, unwittingly listened to the ways of the world and the God of this world. And it has seeped into the hearts of God's children. What we're talking about is the worship of money, really. The worship of wealth and success. And as Pastor said on Sunday, I love Americans, but America is obsessed with money and with success and with being successful, with compiling things, elevating, comparing, superiority. These are fleshly objectives that are projected both outwardly to the world and inwardly to its citizens. It's just the way it is right now. So we each have to ask ourselves, where is your citizenship? And that question, the answer to that question is revealed in who we live for. Do we live for this world? Or do we live for our heavenly kingdom? We as a people, as a whole in this country, have lost our way. And it's possible even for believers to stay tethered to the expectations Americans have adopted. Let me say that again. It's possible even for us as believers to stay tethered to the expectations Americans have adopted. Remember that problem we discussed years ago about expectations? You're better off not having any expectations. Let God bless you if he wants to bless you. Let him show you the way he wants you to go and be content with whatever you have, right? But in this country, expectations is what we have been brought up with. We're ingrained with this is what we deserve. This is what we should have. And over recent decades, more and more Americans have adopted this wrong attitude, being pulled away from the Lord and his sovereign leadership, the true fact that he is the king and the one who gives all good blessing. Even American Christians have denied the right attitude that Scripture gives us, that we are just aliens in a foreign land, and we're here for God's will, not our own will. And they don't believe such scriptures as follows. Turn again to Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. Most American Christians do not believe this verse. And you have to ask yourself, do you? Ecclesiastes 5, 10. 
He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what advantage, what is the advantage to the owners except to look on? If you're honest, there's something in you right now that doesn't fully believe that verse. It's your flesh. If you're honest, you don't 100% believe that verse because (laughs) the flesh pokes at you and says, maybe this statement's not fully true, at least not for me. I can handle it. I'm mature enough to handle both. I can serve God and money. That's what the flesh is trying to convince us of. But it says in verse 10, this is vanity. Are we going to believe the word of God? Or are we going to give in to that, just that little piece of the flesh, that little part, where we know God's got to be first, but money's going to be second. And that's okay, because God's first. What's going on? Who is that whispering that to you in your ear? Three enemies? Could it be Satan? Remember that? Seriously, who's, who's whispering this in your ear that you can handle this, that you, you could be satisfied with money? The Bible says be content with what you have, right? And you're telling God, I can be content, just give me a little more. Then I'll be content. And then when you get a little more, you're like, well, how about just a little more wealth? Then I'll really be content, Lord, and I'll really serve you. So on Sunday, we were asked to reflect. Why is our church, or was our church, I can thankfully say, in the hole again financially? Why were we in the hole again financially? Like, why does that even happen? Are we all so concerned with maintaining our lifestyles that we don't put God's business first? Just something to ask yourself. I mean, I've had to look in the mirror, too. And, again, we can think that we're somewhere that we're not, or we can, we can truly be growing. But God's trying to take us to some other place, and it's a place of freedom up here, ultimately, instead of bondage. If we really believed that this is what it's all about, God's Word, God's plan, the Great Commission, then why are we maintaining a certain lifestyle for personal comforts when we could be changing the lives of believers and unbelievers. We could be turning the world upside down. That's what the disciples did in the early church. The Roman Empire was upside down. They literally were were upsetting people everywhere. All because they weren't living for self or money or anything like that, and they just said, let's do it. In the face of the devil's world, let's do it. Let's get the word out there and rock it. And we're going to change a heck of a lot of lives, even though a lot of people aren't going to be happy. Some interesting points came up on Sunday that really pry into our souls for an honest peek, such as this on the board regarding the American believer. Most of you listening to my voice would respond to the embarrassment of others in the church, knowing how ridiculously selfish you are with your earnings. Maybe even increase your giving to the church. But that will never happen because it's not the church's job to expose you. 
But the point is, if we were confronted by someone in our own church family about this, we mostly, most of us would respond to the correction and say, you know what, you're right, I should do something. So here's the other perspective that came up. Likewise, most of you do already respond to the embarrassment of others in the world knowing how poorly you compare to them. So you increase your giving to the world. For example, you purchase worldly things to sanctify self, by self, and for self. Maybe it's your brother or your sister living a certain way that you subtly in your mind are trying to keep up with. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's work people. Maybe you don't want to be embarrassed in front of your family for not having certain things and you know you're going to hear it from them. A lot of subtle motivations. But most of us already do respond to this type of, this form of embarrassment from the world. Go to Ecclesiastes 6, verse 7 again. You're still in Ecclesiastes, right? We saw this on Sunday. All a man's labor is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not satisfied. Do you believe this verse? The only thing that truly satisfies is the food from the Lord. And this came up at our Bible study last week. On the board, John 4, 31 through 32. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Our earthly appetites will never be satisfied if we're living in the world or with the world. Only or our only peace and satisfaction comes if we live as we should, which is that we're not of the world. We're aliens. We're exiles passing through. That's the only way that peace and satisfaction will come. That's the only way we'll be able to say those words on the, on the board, even when we're going without. I don't need food right now. I know I haven't eaten in a day, but I have food that you don't understand that is satisfying me, that it's giving me contentment. I have the big picture in mind, the overall plan in mind. I see what God's trying to do. We can all have this perspective if we stop living for the world and admit and embrace the fact that we're not of the world. And that takes some honest thinking and decisions about our own financial priorities. Something God's been teaching me as a teacher of his word, he's been motivating me to ask the question, what's the message? What's the main message that you want me to get across to everybody? And I think that's one way he's been getting me out of the way. You know, helping me teach how he wants. But maybe we all should ask ourselves that question. What's the message? What's the main message? What's the main point? What's he trying to say to us right now? And are we willing to accept it? Why is God mixing in this talk about financial priorities in our country with that of the Great Commission? Think about it. Why are those two things merging right now? And which type of disciple are you? 
Are you the one who sells his house to share with his brothers? Or are you the one who sells it and stores half of it away secretly, even hiding it from God? As in Acts chapter 5. And again, there's a time and a place for everything. The Spirit's simply asking, is this our time and place? Better yet, is this our opportunity to truly live for the Lord and His gospel before our time is up? We need to change our perspective. Our view of things is skewed. All of us. To different degrees for some of us, whatever, more than others. But we need to accept that. Our, our view right now is skewed to some degree. So we're talking about this thing called the American mockery, as Pastor put it. The Christian American way is to assume that God blesses us with wealth and such for us. And if you, if you listen to Christians, if you hear Christian radio or, or TV or whatever, you, don't you hear a lot of Christians say, you know, God's blessing me. He loves me and he's blessing me. Look at all these basically things he's giving me. Right? And it stops there. It's like, this is what I deserve in a way. I'm following God and he's blessing me. This is wonderful. But is it just for us? Of course not. The biblical way is it's for others. The blessings he's given me is meant to be for others. That his grace is meant to be collected for self is the American mockery. That we have the right to be upset with God even when these blessings dry up. Possibly because of our own dysfunctional use of them as we fail the test. The Spirit also asked us to consider this. When you're concerned about finances, what's the real reason behind that? When you're concerned about finances, what's the real reason behind that? We've had a lot of tough questions tonight. A lot of questions. But just think about it. Truly, what's your reason for being disturbed about lack of finances or lack of savings, let's say? On the board... Is it because you can't live the lifestyle that you have always dreamed about? Well, ask yourself, where did that quote-unquote dream come from? Who fed you that expectation? And why are you having such a hard time dropping it? Why is this something you have to have that you can't let go? And it comes with time comes with maturity but just let's be honest you know this is not a condemn this is not a condemning message it shouldn't be it should be a uh and clearing the air like honest let's see what the truth is right let's shine the light on it and see what's really there so that we can move on and be set free so again is it because you can't live the lifestyle that you've always dreamed about Ask yourself, where did that dream come from, that American dream, that way of life that you have been taught to expect? Continued on this, the kingdom of darkness has been vigorously at work in America through TV, movies, and the Internet. And he has convinced us 
that we need and deserve a certain lifestyle. Isn't that true? What a joke. <laughs> what a, what a well-taught lie over decades, even from childhood, to the point where we're convinced that we need a certain lifestyle, and we even deserve it. This has distracted American believers from their amazing, wonderful calling to live for and love others, living in the image of Christ himself. In other countries, they don't face this problem. In third world countries, they are enjoying the amazing, wonderful calling on their lives. Even if they only eat one or two meals a day, and even if they don't have you know, more than a change of clothes, they are excited that they know their calling, that they're set free from sin, that they're, that they're resurrected with Christ, and they're living for others and loving others in the image of Christ. And so we, we, we have a problem. We need to drop this expectation that's built into us. Right? We're distracted from an awesome opportunity that is only going to come once. So really, we're talking about heart issues and how our heart's been deceived over time and how God wants our heart to be set free and have the right priorities. Is our top priority God's church and its needs and therefore the needs of its people? Is our top priority the Great Commission and reaching out to the lost? Or is it maintaining a certain lifestyle for self that you've been roped into thinking that you, quote-unquote, need. Sucker is the word that comes to mind. And he got us all. Satan has, has successfully duped us in America. Question is, are we going to let it continue in our souls and in our lives, the way we live? Knowing this truth is one thing, and then living is completely another thing. God looks at our heart. We know that. So what's your motivation when you ask him for things? Here's another test that came up on Sunday morning in James 4.3. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. If we're honest, this is possibly the majority of times that we ask for something. And remember, motives can be subtle. Okay, You could, you could be saying, I'm doing this for you, Lord, but in the back of your mind, you're like, and I'm going to be more comfortable. I mean, you know, to be really honest with yourself is um, a chore. It takes humility. A false preoccupation with finances comes from Satan in the kingdom of darkness, not with our Lord. Our Lord said, we're more important than many sparrows, than many flowers in the field that he takes care of. Of course he's going to take care of us. Don't worry about that stuff. But Satan says you need to worry about that stuff. You need to at least have some savings. You know, you need to pay off your house one day, or when you retire, you won't have a place to live. Average American Christian thinks that way. Here's a passage from Sunday 
where we saw preoccupation with finances, go to Luke 12, 13 again. Luke 12, 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? So here's another question for tonight, question number 50. Is this for you or is this you? Now, at first I said no, like about myself. I, I didn't say this to Jesus. I wouldn't say that to Jesus. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been in the middle of praying? And while praying, financial concerns entered your mind. Now, I'm not talking about asking God about help for finances. I'm talking about you literally started thinking about your financial problems and how you're going to solve them in the middle of prayer. How about this one? You're here in the middle of Bible class, maybe even this evening, and you're thinking about your bills. Or even worse, thinking about what you want to buy next. What your next treat's going to be. Now, does it sound like we're the guy in Luke 12, 13, and 14? Money preoccupied his soul. And you know what? We're, we're, we're uh, cursed with that disease, too, in this country. I struggle from it day in and day out. Where I get preoccupied with something financial. And it's just not how God wants us to live in freedom. So regarding Luke 12, 13, and 14, notice how the person in the crowd has completely misappropriated Jesus' purpose in his life. And this is the way of the average Christian American. They perceive Jesus Christ as just another utility, one that is taken advantage of on an as-needed basis, but not wholly or dependently. Only when you need him, you go to him. Only when you need him, you ask him for help with this or that. So the Lord responded in a certain way in verse 15, Luke 12, 15. Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store all my crops? Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, I'll build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Doesn't that sound like American retirement, by the way? Seriously. Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I hope that's none of us. When, when it's our time to get called, I hope, I hope we spent it all, whether it's financial, emotional, energy, you know what I mean? 
time, I hope we spent it all on the kingdom, that we're not embarrassed when we see Jesus Christ. Because there's going to be a ton of American Christians that God says that to. You fool, your soul's retired. Why did you save up a million dollars and give 20 bucks to the church? You fool. You missed it. You missed your chance. And I hope and pray none of us listening right now have to be in that situation. We have a unique opportunity, folks. And it goes on to say, as you keep reading in Luke 12, which we don't have time because I want to show you a video, but it goes on, Jesus is telling us to relax. I'm going to give you, will you think honestly that I'm not going to at least give you food and clothing? Do you honestly think that? Do you honestly think I won't at least give you a nice pop tent, even if I take your house away? You get to build fires every night? Look at the positives, right? But seriously, I mean, he's, he's encouraging the disciples. He's saying, what are you worrying about? Are you going to fall for that trap of the world? Look at Luke 12, 12.33. Or actually, 12.31. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So again, the Spirit is asking you, is this your time? What are you living for? Who are you living for? It's one thing to take care of your family. It's another thing to spoil your family at the expense of God's mission. And once you die, and you will die one day, some, remember when you were young, you'd think, I'm never going to get old. I'm never going to die. That's, that's like, if I die, it's like such a long way away, I can't even imagine how far away that is. <laughs> we all will die. Will we miss out? on using our blessings for his glory. That's the only, that's the big question. That's the elephant in the room. Will we miss out on using our blessings that he gave us for his glory? Or will you be like the uh, guy, you know, at the barns, stored up? On the board, there's nothing wrong with having wealth. The question is, what's our heart thinking about it? What's our perspective? And is it being used for ourselves or is it being used for God and others? That's God's divine purpose for it. And there's only peace in the light, never in the darkness. We won't have peace if we remain in bondage to the American way of financial, quote-unquote, freedom. Let me show you a video before we close.
close in prayer. Father, we thank you and your Holy Spirit for giving us new perspective. We ask that you humble us and show us how to respond in humility to your truth. Father, we ask also that you help us, give us more faith and more courage to step out into the world and share the good news with those who are lost and dying. We appreciate the opportunity to serve you, to make our our lives worthy with an eternal value. We ask that you bless us all as we go. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.